Okay, good morning. Are we all okay? We're just going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 together. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, I'm kind of quite fortunate when it comes to preaching and preparing in that, I don't know why, but in comparison to other people, I don't seem to need as much time to prepare. I don't know why that is. I think I have quite a logical mind and once I know what's in my head, I'm okay with it. But even by my standards, this week was quite difficult. I've been really busy. Um, and I thought, well, I've got Saturday night, so I'll do some preparation. And then halfway through Saturday, I got a text from my wife that said, your grandchildren don't know you anymore. Um, you spend all your life at the coffee shop. Can you please spend the evening with them? So I went with that guilt trip, and I spent some time all evening with them, which was lovely. And I thought, well, never mind, I'll get up early this morning. And I went to a coffee shop, and I, I just got in this coffee shop, and I got my coffee, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm reading that, in him we have redemption through his blood. Then in walks a man, and he's obviously quite a regular there, and so he's talking. And then he turns around and looks at me, and he says, is that a Bible? And I said, yes, it is a Bible. He said, are you a man of the cloth? I said, No. But I'm just preaching at my church this morning. And he said, you know, I am beyond redemption. I thought, isn't that an interesting thing? Because I've just read, in him, we have redemption through his blood. And um, I wanted to say to him, well, I'm really sorry you're in that state. But right now, I've got to preach in a few minutes. And I'd really like to think about what I'm going to say. But I didn't. Um, and we talked and he told me about his life, and, um, and three times he said to me, I am beyond redemption. And three times I said to him, there is no one beyond redemption. Although Pastor Phil might be telling you soon that there is someone. Um, that's a little hint of what's to come. Um, but there is nobody beyond redemption. And he told me about the, the guilt and the shame that he felt and I said, well, that's good. Because if you feel guilt and shame, you still have a soft heart. And that means that God can forgive you. But what I want to talk about this morning is really about the blood of Christ. And it's lovely that we had planned to do um, a communion service. I didn't know that when I started getting my thoughts together. Um, but we want to talk about the blood of Christ this morning. Now, if you read... Romans, and particularly chapters 1 through to 8, you come across regularly these words, sins and sin. They're regularly in the book of Romans from 1 to 8. And there's a, a distinction. Our sins are the sort of manifestations of our sin. So that when we are doing sins, we are doing things that offend God, and they are an offense to him. But they result from this principle that lays within us. And this principle is called sin. And it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a leak in your, your house and you're kind of mopping up the water. 
unless you actually go and sort out the source, you'll live your life mopping up water. And the mopping up of the water is our sins. But the source of the leak is our sin. Now, God has a plan for both of those things. For sins, God has forgiveness through the blood of Christ. For our sins, he has forgiveness through the blood of Christ. For our sin, that principle that lies within us, that's much more difficult to deal with, but God has a plan, and that is deliverance by us, daily crucifying our flesh and living in the Spirit. Okay, that's the difference. I know as I'm saying it, it sounds quite simple, but there's quite a lot in that. Our sins are dealt with through the blood of Christ and are about forgiveness. But our sin is about us daily presenting ourselves at the cross and with the help of the Holy Spirit living a holy life. Now when I'm talking, so I'm talking really about sins this morning. I'm talking about how God deals with the outcome of our sinful life. Now, when we talk about the blood of Christ, I think that there are essentially three audiences, if you like, of the blood of Christ. There's God, and there's us, and there's Satan. And I want to talk about those three audiences this morning. And the first one is about God. Because the blood of Christ is primarily for God. When Jesus shed his blood, one of the outcomes is that you and I are saved through it. But I believe that Jesus' primary focus was his Father and presenting his blood to his Father. That, I believe that that's what Jesus' focus was. Now, if you were at a Sunday night service a few weeks ago, you'll have heard me say this, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. But I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, I believe that's exactly what happened to Jesus. I believe that at the moment he said it and he died, his spirit went to be with his father. His body went into the tomb. It was taken down from the cross, but he was like all the rest of us. When you die, your spirit and your body get separated. And I believe that Jesus' journey from the cross was into heaven. And I think it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament at the Passover feast. Now in the Passover, what happened was the high priest made a yearly journey through the holy place with the blood of the lamb, went into the veil of the holy of holies on his own and met God and presented the blood of the lamb to God. Knowing that that blood could not forgive him or Israel because the blood of the lamb never could. That's why it was called the Passover. The outcome of that act would be that God would pass over his judgment one more year. He would not judge Israel for their sins, but neither could he forgive them because forgiveness is only available through the blood of Christ. No other. Even for people that lived before Christ. And so the high priest would walk and he would have the bells 
um, sewn into his garments, and he would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of Christ. And I guess the, the, the other priests, maybe they would be silent because they would be listening for the bells because if the bells were ringing, he was still alive. And if for any reason he died in there, maybe because God wouldn't pass over their sins, he had a rope tied around his ankle and he would be yanked out because nobody was going to go in the Holy of Holies and get him out. But when he came out, you can imagine the euphoria of that moment that, yes, again, God is going to pass over our sins one more year. We'll do this again next year, by the way, and we'll keep doing it until Christ has died. Now, I believe that Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the high priest. And as the high priest, he made the same journey. But this time, not with the blood of the Lamb, but with his own blood. And he walked into the Holy of Holies and laid it at his father's feet and said, will that bring about the forgiveness of all men for all time? And I believe that God said, your blood avails for all. What a wonderful moment. And that's why the resurrection is so crucial, because Jesus walking back out of heaven is proof that his blood avails. That's why the resurrection is so exciting. Have we any doubt that God accepted that sacrifice? No, he wouldn't have got out of heaven had it not, but he did. And it's such a wonderful thing to know that that Blood avails for us. He didn't delay. He didn't wait his pronouncement. And don't forget, of all the 33 years that Jesus lived on this earth, every second of his life, God observed his behavior and God observed his mind and his thoughts and knew that not one Second, not for one millisecond did Jesus ever sin. And God knew that. He knew that when he offered himself, he was a perfect sacrifice because he had observed every second of his life and observed every second of his mindset and not once did he sin. And that's why God could so quickly announce his blood avails for us. And for the first time ever, and the only time ever, God's requirement that the sacrifice of a perfect man would pay for the sins of the world. And he found it in Jesus. No one else. So the first thing that the blood does, it reminds us that God's righteous requirement, that the shedding of the blood of a righteous man was fulfilled in Jesus. That's the first audience. The second audience is us. Because the blood avails for us. You see, our natural inclination when we sin is to run away from God. That's our natural inclination, is to hide. We feel deeply ashamed. But like I get said to this man this morning, Paul, the fact that you feel guilt and ashamed is a great thing. It suggests that you care. Guilt and shame is what we feel 
But those things are intended to drive us back into God's arms, not drive us away. We were never intended to run away from God. And God never intended, when he saved us, that our sin would be a barrier. Now, I know it's, it's interesting because that's clearly what Adam and Eve felt when they sinned. But they were the people that sinned for the first time. And I find it quite easy to confess sin to God that is out of character for me. So there are certain things that I could commit as sins that would be out of character. I don't, for example, go around keying cars. That isn't one of my sins. I can't recall ever daubing a bus shelter with some rude words in a spray paint. That isn't my kind of sin life. So if I found myself spray painting a rude word on a bus shelter, I'd probably find that quite easy to confess to God because it would be so out of character for me. What I struggle with is those sins that I committed 40 years ago that I'm still committing now. That's what I find so difficult. That's what keeps me out of the presence of God is that sense of not again not again that keeps me out of the presence of God it's not those out of character sins that I don't know where they came from they're highly unlikely to happen again it's that perpetual I did this 40 years ago and I'm still doing it now but despite that the Bible tells us that as far as our sin is concerned God considers it as far as the east is from the west and he chooses to remember it no more. So when I say to God, I've done it again, he says, you've done what again? Because I chose not to remember. Not that I've forgotten. God can't forget anything. But God can choose not to remember things. And so for us, the blood of Christ is intended to drive us back into the presence of God. And if you allow your guilt or your shame to drive you away from the presence of God, you're actually diminishing the blood of Christ. You're actually making it of no effect. Because Jesus died, not so that you could say, I can't come into the presence of God again because I've done it again. Jesus died so that however often you may have done it, you will still be driven back into the arms of God. That's what the blood of Christ is intended to do. So the second audience is for us. And then the third audience is kind of tied up a bit together because it's effectively for Satan. What Satan does, and Revelation chapter 12 tells us, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now, Pastor Phil preached a couple of weeks ago about discouragement and said that discouragement is probably the one strategy that Satan would find most difficult to give up. I'm not sure about that personally, because I think condemnation runs at a pretty close second, if not a first. Condemnation. That sense of feeling totally and utterly unworthy makes it, it disarms us. It makes us totally and utterly ineffective. 
Because what Satan does, and Revelation tells us, is that day and night, Satan accuses us before God. Now, as I was thinking about this, it sort of struck me. I'd always thought that Satan was, um, was, was the father of lies, and of course the Bible teaches that. But when it comes to the accusation of the brethren, he's actually dealing in truth. I've not really thought about that, but he's dealing in truth. Satan doesn't come to God and say, have you noticed, Jez, daubing rude words on a, um, a you know, bus shelter, thank you. Because I'd never done that. Honestly, I know I'm using it as an example, and you're already beginning to think, does he do that? Well, I'm using it as an example because I don't. Okay, just in the same way I don't key cars, okay, I purposely chose things I do not do. Um, he doesn't come up to God and say, have you noticed Jesse's just keyed all those cars and ruined the paintwork? But anyway, he's not bothered because it's an insurance job, isn't it? I, I don't do those things. And Satan doesn't bring those things to God. What he brings is the things that I do do. And that there is an agreement between God and me and Satan is that, yes, I do those things. Now, the Christian life is effectively a journey, isn't it? It's a journey from the moment that we get saved to, the, to becoming like Christ. That's what the journey is. It's a, it's a process. It's, you know, in Isaiah, he calls it the highway of holiness. It's about coming from when you're saved to becoming into the image of Christ. And it's a journey. So my journey started back in 1978. So I've nearly been walking with God for 48 years. And so if my journey is kind of over here, if this is my starting point where I got saved... This is where I want to end up, and this is being like Jesus. This is being in the perfect image of Jesus. And let me state this quite clearly. I believe it is possible for every believer to make that journey from when they're saved to being like Jesus in thought and behavior on this side of the cross. I believe that. I've met many people that did, but it's still a possibility. It's a possibility for us all to walk from our starting point to here. Now, I know that I'm not here, okay? I really know that. And I'd like to negotiate with God somewhere like, well, God, given the fact that I didn't come from a Christian home, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, and quite a difficult relationship with my father, can we renegotiate my, my finishing point? Can I... Can I get to, if I got to round about here, could you hold your thumb up and say, well done, Jez. That's not bad, given your years without Christ and your relationship with your dad. But God doesn't negotiate a realistic end. God's realistic end for us all is that we become like Christ in behavior and in thought. That's God's intention. And that's God's aspiration. And by crucifying the flesh, I said I wasn't talking about this this morning, but by crucifying the flesh and walking in the spirit, it is possible. Now, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a revelation, if that's a continuum from when I started to where I'm going, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a revelation of where you are on that journey? 
Well, I think it would. I'd like to know. Some of you don't know. I mean, imagine if I was, well, I was going to say if I, if I was preaching this morning, believe it or not, I am. Um, and if I was talking to you, and unknown to me, something strange happened on the screen behind. And unknown to the IT people, a continuum came up, and it's, this bullet lettering came on. This is where Jez Stockhill is. And on the screen, there was a starting point, which would be this. And over on this side of the screen would be where I should be. And then in somewhere there would be a marker that says, this is how far he's got in 40 years. Now, I don't know that this is happening because, of course, I'm speaking to you and it's happening behind me. But I can guess that something's happening because people are looking beyond me. And I look at the screen and there it is. Well, where would I be after 40 years of walking with Jesus? It would be nice to think that I was here. And if that's what I saw, I'd be like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then I think, oh, step back. That's pride. <laughs> but it would be lovely to think I was here. But there is a possibility that after 40 years, that my starting point is here. And actually, I'm here. That is a possibility. Now, of course, if that's what the screen showed, most of you would get your phones out and start listening to a Billy Graham sermon. Something that would bless you and edify you rather than somebody who after 40 years has made effectively one step. But that might be true. I don't know. I certainly know that this is not true of me. It might be true of you all. But it isn't true of me. But this might be true. I might simply be here. And when Satan goes to God, he says, have you seen where Jez is? And God says, yes. And Satan says, is it true that all believers could be here on this side of the grave? And God says, that's true. But Jez is here. And God would say he has made little progress but that's all he would say but then Satan comes and he says to me is it true that you could be totally sanctified this side of the grave and I say yes he says so how come you've made so little progress and I said I don't know I don't know he says it's a shame because God's really disowning you. I think, is he? Of course, God didn't say that. He just said, Jez has made little progress. That's true. But he didn't say he was disowning me. And Satan would say, don't you think you ought to pack it in, Jez? Because after 40 years, honestly, it's embarrassing. And God, God's embarrassed. Is he? He didn't say that to me when I talked to him. He just said, Jez, you've made little progress. Ah, oh, well, you didn't hear the full story. He said you've made little progress, and he disowns you, and he's disappointed. Wow. 
And so the condemnation creeps upon you and you stand still and you don't go anywhere because you feel so totally and utterly unworthy. But you see, if you listen to God fully, God would say, Jez, you have made little progress, but there's time. The blood of Christ forgives you of sins, and if you will take your flesh to the cross and walk in the Spirit, you can begin to make progress again. God doesn't intend anyone to be condemned and to stop still. If you've stopped and you feel condemned and you feel unworthy, God's message is, let's get going again. Let's get going. And it is possible for me to have made that little progress in 40 years and to make that progress in five years. It is possible. You know, some people could get to here in five years, but some people can get here. It doesn't stop. And God doesn't want us to stop. And what stops us is Satan telling us that we are rubbish and we are no good. And he'll say to you, listen, what is the point? The reason that you are in this mess is because you sin perpetually. What makes you think that it's not it's going to stop. Well, because this time, it could stop. And I really believe that God does not want us to be condemned. In fact, Paul, at the end of that section of Romans chapter 1 through to verse 8, what does he say? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God does not condemn you. He does not condemn you. If you beat yourself up, or if you let Satan beat yourself up, stop it. Because God's not doing it. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you to a place of forgiveness, and to bring your spirit alive again, so you can begin to walk again on that pathway of holiness. He never intends anyone to stop. He does want you to speak the truth. So let's stop pretending. If we, if we are here... And to our disappointment, we've been walking 40 years. It is what it is. We are where we are. But let's have a look at where we are and let's begin to pick up pace again and to make the journey. And the final thing I want to say about the cross is, is the reason that God wants to do that is because in giving you the blood of Jesus, he has given you the most precious thing that he has. God has nothing in the world more precious than the blood of Christ. There is nothing God has more than the blood of Christ that is precious to him, more than the blood of his son. You know, I used to say this when I was youth pastor to young people. You could create the biggest set of scales in the world and you could put all the precious gold and all the silver, and all the gems, and all the things that are precious on one side of the scale, and God could put the tiniest drop of the blood of Jesus on the other side, and it would tip in favor of the blood of Christ. There is nothing more valuable than that. And Jesus died and shed his blood, 
And that is where your value comes from. Your value comes from that I have been bought with the blood of Christ. There is nothing more precious than that. And there is nothing that makes me more precious than that. And it's staggering. We often say, don't we? If I'd have been the only sinner in the world, Christ would have died for me. I mean, have you ever thought about that seriously? I mean, think about it seriously. Imagine that Jez Stockhill is the only sinner that has ever been in the world. And that all you people this morning are perfectly righteous and have been perfectly righteous since you were born. You've never committed a sin. And that is true of every single person in the world bar Jez Stockhill. And so at some point, Jesus is talking to God and he's saying, we've got a sinner, he's called Jez. And Jesus would be saying, the plan was before the foundation of the world that I would go to a cross for him. But given the fact that everybody else in the world is perfectly righteous, billions and billions and billions of people, shall we just give it a miss? Because, I mean, honestly, if I've only lost one, and it is Jez after all, if I've only lost one, I've done all right. And Jesus would say, I'll go to the cross for him. Like, really? Honestly? And Jesus would. And then what happens when he's died on the cross for me? I mean, my life's going to be a bit miserable, isn't it? Because I'm surrounded by righteous people. So everybody's going to be telling me about Jesus. Everybody's going to be telling me about giving my life to God. That's going to sort of intensify, intensify my resolve not to give my life to God. And imagine I get to my deathbed. And all those righteous people say to me, this is your last chance. Jesus went to the cross for you. Will you now give your life to him? And I say, no, thank you and die without Christ. Now, Jesus knew that before he went to the cross, but he still would die for me because he'd still want me to have the opportunity to give my life to Jesus because that's how much he loves me. And that's how much he loves us all. And that's where our value comes from because you are bought with the blood of Christ. And this is where I struggle a bit sometimes to understand why we feel so bad about ourselves. Because I don't know what else God has got to give. He's given his son. He's shed his blood. The most valuable thing that he has. Why do you feel so down? Stop it. You have been bought with the blood of Christ. That is your value. And it doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're the greatest sinner or you're the greatest saint. You're value is not in what you do it's in the fact that you were bought that's what your value is you are bought with the blood of Christ and therefore conduct yourself as a prince and a princess of the kingdom of God and understand that even when you get it wrong God still values you your value doesn't fluctuate it doesn't change. From the moment you got saved to the moment you die, your value will always be the same. It's you were bought with the blood of Christ. That's your value. And so this morning we're coming to communion. Um, I hope that some of the thoughts that I've shared have kind of 
made that when you come to the blood, you might see it a bit differently. But I also hope that when you come to the bread, you will see that in the cross of Jesus is your own cross. And that you might ask God to help you daily crucify yourself with the power of the Holy Spirit and you'll move on in holiness. And I just want to encourage you, if you're discouraged, if you're condemned, if you feel guilty, if you feel that your Christian life has ground to a halt, if you think that your Christian life amounts to so little for having walked so long, let me tell you, it does not matter to God one bit. All that matters is let's have a look where you are and let's find a way to get you walking again on that highway of holiness and let's present you with some opportunities to walk towards and become more like Jesus. So we're going to ask the worship band to come back. I'm going to hand over to Bob and we're going to sing What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. First, remember that time when he did pour out that precious blood? And uh, in, uh, in Lamentations, um, you can find these words uh, through chapter 3. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. I just want to give you a few minutes, uh, so a few moments so you can reflect on exactly where your heart is this morning. Okay, and ask God to, to search out your heart and to see if there's any wicked way in you so that you can come and lay it at the foot of the cross and you can seek the blood of Jesus to cleanse you so that you are then in that place where you can come and take the bread and the wine. And uh, there's nobody here this morning, okay, who's unworthy. If you've not given your life to the Lord, then obviously that's different. If you've given your life to the Lord, then nobody can be in a place when they're not fit and worthy to come and share in communion this morning. You just need to talk to Jesus. So let's just do that now. Jesus, we just say through you to the Father this morning, Lord, that we are sorry for all the times and ways that we let you down, for all the times we've sinned and fallen short of your standard. And we just pray afresh uh, this morning for you to forgive us, cleanse us once more through the precious blood of Jesus. For this again, Holy Spirit, and, and make us worthy once more of you. And Lord, help us to get back on that road and, and walk in towards the destiny that you have prepared for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Corinthians, Paul reminds us that uh, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So you'll be served the bread and the wine, just take it in your own time. But uh, just remember, okay, what Jesus did for you as you take it. Just remember that uh, bit of broken bread represents his broken body. And somehow it also represents the fact that he becomes a part of you, like that bread becomes a part of you, that Christ became a part of you when you gave your life to him. And as you take that cup, remembering that uh, this blood, that precious blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins and is for each and every one of us. There's nothing left to say except thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the precious blood. Thank you for, for redemption and forgiveness. And thank you for the resurrection which proved it all true. And thank you that you will be with us now and that you'll go with us and you'll stay with us throughout this day, throughout this week. And we can enjoy your company all the time. So again, if anybody needs to come and talk about anything from this morning, please don't go home without coming and talking. God bless you. Okay. And God go with you. Amen.